What will it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul when the king of glory paid it all with his blood so that you and I can be redeemed? Thank you for joining us again for Sermons on the Swamp, the classic. My name is Lloyd, and with me I have Brother Anthony. And can you go ahead and give us the title of today's message? Yes, sir. Sure can. It's called The Blood of Jesus. It was done March 1992. Wow, that was a long time ago. Yeah, that was before I was born. Wow, I was probably maybe six or five years old, maybe, or a little younger. I was young. Yeah, because that is... Yeah, about 30 years old now, you know. 90s, 80s, right? About 90s or 80s, about that range. Yeah, in 92. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. it'd be uh, mm-hmm. 30 years. Wow. You know, 30 wow. years in, after almost 31 because they're in December right now. Wow, wow. I was listening today. I was like, man, it brings back a lot of memories, man. Yeah. Oof. Good sermons. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely a good one. And uh, like I said before, I know we... we we haven't had one come up in a while, but so yeah, we're going to continue to bring out, you know, the basics of salvation and what it is to, to be a believer. Mm-hmm. So yeah, here's the blood of Jesus from a uh, brother Mike from March of God purchased this church with his own blood. Without this one thing, the blood of Jesus Christ, we're hell bound, we're helpless, and we're hopeless. And it was only the blood of Jesus Christ to make us fit to go to heaven. There's no other way around it. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And outside the blood of Jesus, there is no other saving power. You can believe in Jesus all you want, but if you don't believe in the blood that was shed for your sins, you've missed it all. No blood, no salvation. You find Acts the 20th chapter. Get by a chance to find it. Okay, Acts 20, you'll find it. Okay, then put your finger there, and we're going to turn in Romans 8 chapter. It's the next book over, and we're going to read those verses first so we can tie them in together. I'm like you. I'm trying to feel this out myself, so amen. Hallelujah. Amen. We have so much to be thankful for. Amen. God's blessing is so rich, and he's just so good to us, but... uh, it wasn't a cheap price that we achieved all these things by. Romans chapter 8. You know, we can't ever uh, neglect it or take it for granted that God is doing these things just because he loved us. And he does. But it cost him a great price in the things what he does for us. But also we've got to look at it from this way too. That I have a divine right now. You know, when I go before the Lord and, and whenever the devil's attacking me in my mind, my, you know, whatever I have or whatever you know, uh, is mine, my family's, I have a right to stand up against him because, you see, I no longer belong to myself. I was bought with a price, a price that there's nothing in this world that can compare to it. But thank God it was paid. I'm going to start in Romans, the 8th chapter, and read you a couple of verses of Scripture. And I'm going to start in verse 31, Romans 8 and verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? 
If God be for us, who can be against us? Now listen to this verse. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who may also make it intercession for us. And then we'll go in Romans, I mean in Acts, the 20th chapter, and we'll read some verses here. Amen. Man, those are some pretty good verses, what I just read. Amen. Many, many, many a time when, you know, the devil brings doubt and discouragement. Man, listen, I read that and I said, and it says so many times, and if God uh, did, didn't spare his own son, how, how shall he not also freely give me all things? I mean, if he didn't spare the best he had, what's there anything else in this life can be compared to that he would not give you? Acts chapter 20, and let me read you uh, this verse of scripture. I want to read verse 28. He says, and take heed therefore unto yourselves. And to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. Another powerful verse of scripture, but let's go into Lord in prayer before we get into them. Lord, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we gather together, Lord, according to your word says, Lord, not to forsake it, but Lord, to gather ourselves together, Lord, and the more so as we see that day approaching. And Lord, we come this morning, Lord, First off, to worship you and to bless your name for all that you've done for us. We've come together, Lord God, that we might edify one another. We've come together to hear your word, that it might have its work in our life. We come, Lord, that our needs might be met this morning. And Father, we trust you and we believe you that great things will be done this day in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. What I just read in Acts, the 20th chapter, was the Apostle Paul. He realized, he's shown by the Spirit that he would be going to Jerusalem, they'd be arrested, and eventually be brought before Caesar, and eventually he'd be beheaded. He realized it'd be the last time he'd ever lay eyes on these disciples. Go in this area, he called all the uh, elders together, the pastor, the churches, and this is one of the warnings what he gave them. To take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Now listen to that verse of Scripture. God purchased his, blood, his church with his own blood. He purchased it with his own blood. Man, that speaks a lot. Jesus Christ is more than just the man. Amen. You know, the Bible also says, you know, God is a spirit. But let me tell you, God is also a man. God is a, a God who became man. But he came this for one reason. That his blood might be shed to buy our eternal salvation. He purchased this church with his own blood. He purchased this blood, this church with his own blood. I want you to turn to 1 Peter, the first chapter. Let's look at another verse of scripture. Oh, it's going to get good. Amen. Lord's so good to us. Man, we've got to understand, man, about, about the, the blood of Jesus. You know, and get away from churchianity and... and uh, theologies, and, and, and get back to what the basics really mean. You know, even the Apostle Paul said, you know, when I came to you, to the Corinthian church, I came to you with much trembling and fear. You know, uh, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, 
but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. In the verses before that, Paul said, I come to you knowing nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen. Um, it doesn't seem like a lot of people today would excite a lot of people when they hear, well, who wants to hear about someone being put to death? Well, this is everything to the Christians. How God came down and, and uh, willingly gave up his life and, and suffered so much for us. In 1 Peter, the first chapter, in the 18th verse, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed, or that word redeemed means, you know, bought, purchased, with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Man, these verses, listen, I don't know if they're doing something, but but, but they, they, they're speaking a lot. Amen. God didn't have to sell off part of his properties in heaven. Didn't have to auction off uh, part of the streets of gold. Didn't have to sell one of the uh, pearly gates in order to buy our salvation. It would have never done it. It was corruptible. He had, it cost something that, that, that uh, you and I have no idea how much value. The most valuable thing in all of this universe his own blood, and he purchased it. And this is why we have to understand our, our redemption. Without this one thing, the blood of Jesus Christ, we're hell bound, we're helpless, and we're hopeless, and it was only the blood of Jesus Christ could make us fit to go to heaven. You know, all of us, you look at natural men, they, they all want to do something, be something, and give something another to get there. But we have to understand that that uh, um, this religion we're in is a bloody religion. I don't know if you understand what I'm trying to say. I was raised up in the Catholic Church, and there, the, every Sunday, the priest offered up a, a chalice of wine and a host, and, and this was so said, a reenactment of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, but it was a bloodless sacrifice. That'll never take away sins. Never take away sins. The Bible says in Hebrews 9 and verse 22, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Nothing else can wash away my sins but the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, belonging to the right churches and uh, doing the right tr uh, rituals and, and uh, you know, doing good things will never get me there. It took the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, this blood has a long, long trail. It started way back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve, when they fell, they were deceived by Satan. And it says in Genesis 3, 7, And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And it's just like religion today. They have everything to try to cover up the shame of their nakedness, means their sins. I mean, they put on good works, they put on rituals, they put on belonging to the right churches, doing all kinds of good things to, to cover up. But God condemned it. Anybody could have sewed fig leaves together. But the Bible says that God took an innocent animal. First time blood was ever shed in this universe. And there it says in Genesis 3.21, And unto Adam also unto his wife did God make coats of skin and clothe them at the expense of an innocent animal. And this blood, it covered up their shame. And God demands it even to this day. And all of our good works will never pay for it. He demands blood atonement. He demands that it be sinless blood. 
And that can't be found this earth. And what God demands, God provided. I want you to turn in Luke, the 22nd chapter. And these are going to be real familiar scriptures unto you. In Luke, the 22nd chapter. Amen. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you. And we praise you. Again, the only place this kind of blood could be found was in the Lamb of God. That's John the, the Baptist at once says, when he saw Jesus walking, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Now we see this same Lamb gathered together with his disciples and eat one last supper with them before he knew he'd go out to suffer, lay his life down for the sins of all of us. And listen at this very closely. I'm going to start in verse 14, Luke 22 and verse 14. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire have I desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said this, Divide it, take this, and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, that I will not drink of the fruit of the vine till the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. You know, there's uh, um, a lot of people, they, t- they take the Lord's Supper for granted. They come and they just do a little ritual and they, you know, and they, they, you know, they give the bread and, and the wine and say, you know, remember uh, the Lord Jesus. But let me tell you, it tells you, you better remember his death until he's come. His death is probably one of the most horrible in all of history. How that an innocent man, even judges where he went before his Pilate, knew he was innocent. He was a professional judge. He knew. And he said, I find no fault with this man, but because the will of man was exerted, they still they condemned him to death, beat him, like Black was saying, with a cat and nine tail, till his flesh was torn. says in Acts, I mean in Proverbs 22, he said, I can look and count all my bones, for they stare at me. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, he was so moored, his vistas were so moored that he couldn't really be recognized that he was a man. They plucked his beard, they beat him with their hands, and then finally they nailed him to a cross. All of this because, and, and he hadn't done one thing wrong, not one sin. All of this we realized was because of us. But yet so many people want to go back to that and remember the upper room experience. But it's not the upper room people. It's the cross we better remember. And that's what he says for us to remember. God demands blood, and a man will either be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ or he'll burn in hell forever and ever. There's no other way around it. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And outside the blood of Jesus, there is no other saving power. Now listen, that's strange to most churches today. But we have to preach. And we have to always keep it before us, the awful price it cost us for our salvation. I want to read in Romans, the third chapter. Us as spirit-filled, us as, uh, uh, I guess we could say, people who have faith and want to believe God and have faith in God, there's a right way to direct your faith to make it work in your life. The Apostle Paul preached about the blood of his Savior, Jesus Christ, also. In Romans, the third chapter, Romans, the third chapter, in the 21st verse, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, 
unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace, we have redemption that is, that, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of, of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and a justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting, then is it excluded? By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Now listen to what he's saying. A man is justified by faith, but faith in what? All we all say surely by faith in Jesus Christ. But listen, was it, is it faith in that he was born of a virgin? Is it faith that he came to this world and was born and that's what all the world wants to remember as we call, you know, the world calls Christmas night. Is that what we have to have faith in? Do we have to have faith in him is that he was once baptized by John the Baptist? Do we have to have faith in him that he was full of the Holy Ghost? Do we have to have faith in him that he did miracles, raised the dead, healed the sick, cast out devils? Do we have to have faith in him that he lived a sinless life? All these things are good, but let me tell you something. The only thing that will save a man is having faith in his shed blood. Without it, there is no salvation. You can believe in Jesus all you want, but if you don't believe in the blood that was shed for your sins, you've missed it all. No blood, no salvation. Jesus could have lived a sinless life, died of natural causes, and it would have done you no good. It was his blood that had to be shed or sacrificed for you. And that's what bought it. This blood. Listen. I know the need of the church, and especially this church, more than any other need we have in our church all around. We need to see God's Spirit moving. Hello? We need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. It's a divine right that the blood of Jesus Christ bought for us. And you know, uh, there's so many times the devil's coming against the church and saying, well, that's it, that's, that's all there is. It's just your salvation. But listen, you better, you better understand something. We're going to have to go through this thing victoriously. And the only way we're going to go through this walk with Jesus Christ victoriously is to take exactly what he gave to us, what was bought for us with that blood. And that was our right to be filled with his spirit. That's what the blood was came, to wash this temple out, to cleanse this temple out, to remove all sin from it, so that his spirit could come and dwell in these temples. And you know that's what he's still seeking for? I want you to quickly read a verse of scripture in Titus, the second chapter. Now Titus is found right after 2 Timothy. In Titus, the second chapter, the third chapter, excuse me. Titus, the third chapter, and I'm going to start the third verse. For we ourselves were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. But after that the kindness and love of God, our, our Savior, towards men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now that washing of regeneration means all of us had to go through a washing. We had to be cleansed from our sin. And let me tell you, the only thing that will wash away sins is the blood of Jesus Christ. Why? 
Way back in the Old Testament when, when God was sent Moses into the land of Egypt to redeem his people Israel that had been slaves there or had been inhabitants for 450 years, the time was come for them to, to, to be taken out of this land and brought to their own land, the promised land. God sent Moses, sent him to Pharaoh, and he said, let my people go. Pharaoh refused, so God began to pour out plagues to a point where he was more than willing to let them go. The last plague that was, that was poured out was going to be called the Passover, where the death angel was going to pass throughout all the land of Egypt, and there everyone that didn't have the blood that was instructed by God over the doorpost of their house, any home that didn't have this, in that house there would be a death of the firstborn that night. But the Israelites, in obedience to God, they slain an innocent, innocent lamb. His blood was put over the doorpost of the house. And that night when the death angel passed, not one soul died in, in all these camps. But he said, this is something. He said, you know, the, the Bible says that God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And you know, in our lost condition, when God's seen our sins, that's what he's seen. And he couldn't pass over judgment on us. We were, we were guilty. We were doomed for hell. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. And now because of this now, when I stand before God, judgment can be passed over me. Because he must see the blood. Everybody says this, and what counts, they say, well, is if God sees Jesus in you. That is true to a certain extent. But what God has to see in our life is the blood of His Son on our souls. When I see the blood, I will pass over. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can convert the soul. It's more than being washed in the blood is having a brand new life. Jesus said, a man must be born again. What does that mean? Is it just saying the sinner's prayer? No, 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 no. That's repenting of your sin, the blood of Jesus Christ, washing it, His Spirit coming into your life, and you're made a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. And it's only the blood of Jesus Christ that can do that. In the Old Testament, they had an example of, of people who contracted a terrible disease called leprosy, where their skin would literally rot off their ears, the, the, the eyelids, the, the noses, the lips, the feet, the fingers, would begin to rot away until they just finally, they just, they just, it got so bad it would kill them. It was a horrible disease. But if in the instance that they, they were cured, it stopped, they were to go into the, to the priest of that land and he was to offer up a, a sacrifice for them. And the Bible then it says, and I, I don't want to take time to read in Leviticus 14 and verse 20, the priest would then proclaim them as clean. And they could once again go home or they could be amongst their own people. Because see, when you're a leopard, you are an outcast. You couldn't come near anyone. You had to always cover yourself with rough garment and put something over your mouth and always cry unclean, unclean and live by yourself away from other people. And You know, that's what mankind is like without God. Without the blood of Jesus Christ, you're a spiritual leper. And God can't have anything to do with you. But once the blood is applied, we now can approach into God. Leprosy is always portrayed as a type of sin. Until we're cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. It says in Revelation 1.5. Unto him. That's Jesus. Who loved us. And washed us from our sins. In his own blood. He loved us and he done something. He shed his blood. Revelation 5.9 says. 
and has redeemed us to God by thy blood. I want you to turn to Ephesians, the second chapter. In the book of Ephesians, the second chapter. Let me try to make you understand something. When we open up this book, what we call the Bible, especially when we open up the section as Christians we call the New Testament, do you realize what he's saying? God has enacted a brand new covenant with all mankind. A brand new agreement, a brand new contract. That's what Jesus said, this is the blood that was shed for a new testament unto us. We're not under the old law. The Bible says no one can keep the law. And by the law no man is justified. It was only there until the time was right for Jesus to come. And he would reenact a brand new testament with us, a contract, an agreement with us. But it cost him his own blood. That's why whenever you read something in the New Testament, this is your contract with God. God shows you his part, what he done to make this contract come into force. In Ephesians chapter 2, Let me start in verse 8. Some of these verses might sound familiar, but please try to listen with your spiritual ear. What the blood of Jesus Christ has done for us. Starting in verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember, writing to a Gentile church, that you in the past time, you being in the past time Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hand, which all the Jewish nation, they realized they were God's chosen people. Anyone who are Gentiles such as we are, that's what we were called, the uncircumcised. In their eyes, we were dogs, we were nothing, meant nothing to God, meant nothing to them. But it says in the 12th verse, and at that, at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants and promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are now made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who has made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, and hath abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, and so make in peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you that were afar off to them that were nigh, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit, unto the Father. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. All of this, our citizenship that, that he bought for us, now we belong to the kingdom of heaven, was bought by his own blood. What a price! But thank God that we have it. The Bible says, and in, in, uh, 
I ain't going to read it. I got it written down, but I'm going to let you read it in Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Because this is it's just so great. It's, it's just so, so um, I don't know, words can't really express it when we really come to grasp what Jesus did for us. You see, in the Old Testament, God gave Moses a type and a pattern of something that was in heaven. He told him to build a tabernacle where God would dwell. And there was a holy where, where no one can approach except the priests. And then they had the holiest of holies where there was a great veil between which no man ever came behind there except the high priest once a year. And then he really couldn't see what was going on. It was in the midst of great darkness. And he could only go in uh, with, with, with the shed blood of an animal and sprinkle it. And then he had to wait and see if God would accept the sacrifice. No man ever went behind the holies of holies. No man can go there without being killed. You understand? Which meant no one could go before the presence of God. No one. But listen to this verse of scripture. In Hebrews 10. And verse 19. Having therefore brethren. Boldness. To enter into the holiest. By the blood. Of Jesus. By a new and a living way. Which he has consecrated for us through the veil. That is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Listen. This is supposed to do something with the blood of Jesus. I was raised up in religion all my life. And I'd pray the prayers they said to pray, and that's all it was. I'd just say prayers. But it's not supposed to be so with a born-again child of God. The blood of Jesus Christ, you have to understand, the thing that kept us out of God's presence was our sins. But here Jesus came and reenacted or enacted the New Testament. His blood was shed. His blood washed us from all our sins. And I can have boldness, but I've got to be sure I'm under the blood. And, and I know when, when all my sins are washed away. I just, you just got to, I don't know how I can explain it, but understand that when you come before God, it, it's not a ritual any longer. It's not saying words. You're coming before the king of all this universe, and he's hearing you, and he's going to help you. He's going to uh, give you what you need because of that blood. That blood. You can have boldness now. What mankind could never do before. A Christian now can have boldness to go behind the veil because of that blood. I want you, while you're around here in Colossians, the first chapter. In Colossians, the first chapter. I'm trying to show you some scriptures. What this blood has bought for you. In Colossians, the first chapter. heard many people say it, especially Black says it a lot, men thank God for the peace that I now have. Hello? I mean, I, you can look out there in the world and see people that have no peace. I mean, they got to uh, drug it up, drink it up, uh, uh, try some kind of psychiatric aids to try to ease the tension in their minds because there's no peace. I mean, how do you expect people to have peace when they're in uh, enmity with God, rebelling against God, and 
and no way to get to God. But once a person hears the gospel, a simple gospel of how Jesus loved you so much that he paid for your sin, and that person accepts that sacrifice, and Jesus comes and, and dwells in that person. It says this in Colossians, the first chapter, and the 20th verse, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you who are sometimes alienating enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. A person that's under the blood of Jesus Christ. Man, what a peace. That's one of the first things I realized when I was born again. It was like being a little baby all over again with really no worries. And, and I mean, it's just a, a cleansed mind. Peace. Peace. But you see, that's what Jesus does. That's what his blood has purchased. I don't have to no longer, if something happens to me, if I died suddenly, if something happens to me, I don't have to worry about, uh, <coughs> am I ready? Or uh, 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 what, what's going to happen to me? I have peace with God now because of his blood. I have peace. Up a little bit in Philippians, uh, Ephesians. In Ephesians, the first chapter. Listen to this verse of Scripture. Ephesians, the first chapter. <coughs> thank God for the peace. Now I want you to thank God that your sins are pardoned. You know what that means? If you committed a great crime, just say you, you've, you've killed people, you're a murderer, and before he'd go before the judge and he'd say, well, you're guilty, and we condemn you to death, to be executed. But something would happen, and, 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 and you'd receive a pardon from the government. They'd say, that's it, you're pardoned, you're forgiven. You won't have to stand the sentence that was handed down to you. What do you think that person would be like? But you see, all of us are criminals before God whenever we've sinned. And all of us had a debt sentence over our head and ours is eternity in hell. But yet because of Jesus Christ, it says in Ephesians, the first chapter, and the seventh verse. Well, let me start in the sixth verse. Through the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted, in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. That same word for redemption is the word for pardoning through his blood. Man, it feels so good. Knowing I was guilty, but because of Jesus' blood, now I'm pardoned of the debt sentence that was over my head. Man, thank God that now we can have victory because of his blood. It says in Revelation 12, 11, They overcame him, the devil, by the word of their testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. And they loved not their lives unto death. But because of the blood of Jesus, anything the devil comes against you with, and it's under the blood, you can stand against him and claim that blood because, let me tell you, when he sees the blood, he can't touch you. And he'll bluff you. He'll try to make you go every way around it and get you away from it. But let me tell you, when you're under the blood, the devil can't touch you. He cannot touch you when you're under that blood. 
It says in 1 John 1, 7, you know, if, uh, the Bible says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. It's talking about our fellowship with God. Unbroken fellowship with God. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. His blood is, is just constantly just washing and cleansing us and keeping us spotless as we walk in that light, though. You know, it says also, and I want you to read these verses in Revelations, the seventh chapter. In Revelations, the seventh chapter. L l l read these verses. Revelations, the seventh chapter. Now, this takes us a little bit ahead in time. These are talking about some of the tribulation saints who have not been ready when the rapture happened, but nevertheless, they got to heaven the same way we're going to get to heaven. I want you to read in Revelation 7 and verse 9. It says, And after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hand. And cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth on the throne, and unto the Lamb. Now I want you to go on down in the 14th verse. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The little song always goes, it never changed. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. <laughs> Listen, that's not popular religion today. They go every way around it and use everything else. They use psychology and, and all kind of little gimmicks to, to make people believe their sins are gone. But the only one thing that will ever wash away sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. And when that blood touches your, your soul, you're not the same person any longer. Hallelujah. He's just so good to us. In Hebrews, the ninth chapter. Hebrews, the ninth chapter. Listen to these verses. I'm just trying to show you part of your covenant with God. What he's done to, to bring the, the, us together under this covenant. In Hebrews, the ninth chapter. Amen. When you stop and you think of all the millions of innocent sheep, lambs, oxen, bullocks, goats, whose blood was shed through the time the law was given, all of that would never compare to one drop of the blood of Jesus. These covered man's sin for a time, never washed them away. It's not possible. Hebrews 9 Verse 13, For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctified through the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Whew. Listen, it more than washed away your sins and washed away your conscience that now you know you can walk before the Lord with no condemnation, with no guilt, knowing you belong to Him, that you were purchased with that price. Amen. Let me tell you something. The powers of hell tremble when they see that blood. When the blood of Jesus even mentioned, they tremble. It says in Revelation 1, 17 18, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. Jesus talking. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. 
It says in Romans 8, 37, And all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. But it's all because of Jesus. We're mighty conquerors through him. He'll always cause us to have the triumph through him. Because you see, when they see the blood, and you use the blood, you learn how to use the blood of Jesus Christ. Know how to claim your rights because of what Jesus did for you. The devil can't touch you. The blood. The blood, not your goodness. Not how great you are, not the gifts you have. Only one thing causes the devil to tremble and to flee. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. That blood that was shed nearly 2,000 years ago is still just as much alive today as it was then. Never changed. Because we can read up into the future when Jesus Christ is returning to this earth. It says in Revelation 19.13, And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And I believe through all eternity we're going to see that blood. That was shed for the covering of our sins. In heaven we read in the book of Revelation. Everywhere you read about the lamb. You read about the lamb. That was slain. That means it's a lamb that has a lot of blood on it. Beautiful picture? No. It was horrible. What Jesus suffered. But it had to be done. That blood had to be shed for our sins. When Jesus was taken prisoner and brought before Pilate and he was condemned to death, Pilate did one last act. He realized he couldn't prevail against the high priest and the people and uh, he said, well, let him be crucified. But he took a basin of water and he washed his hands in that water. Symbolized, he said, I see to it that I am innocent from the blood of this just person or this innocent person. I wish it would be that simple that water could wash away that sin. But the people cried out and they said, you know, his blood be upon us and our children. And it worked out that way. The nation of Israel, though there were a lot of them that did get saved, as a nation, though they still rebelled against him. And God did find that blood on them. But that blood was on their hands. And the nation of Israel has suffered terribly since then. Their nation was destroyed. They were dispersed all the world. And to this day, they still suffer great troubles. And the worst is yet to come in the tribulation period where God is going to use this time to turn them unto him. When they're going to realize all this time that blood that's on their hands should have been on their hearts. Because the Bible says when they see Jesus coming, they're going to see him coming whom they hands and feet they pierced they're going to realize all this time it was their Messiah but you see there's only two places the blood will go today we're all guilty of nailing Jesus to that cross with our sins and when the Lord looks at us he's either going to find the blood on our hands or that blood on our souls and that's where it belongs The Bible says in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, I think it's the 38th verse, how much sore punishment shall he be thought worthy who despised, you know, the, the blood of this covenant, or he counted the blood of this covenant as an unholy thing, 
and done despising to the spirit of grace. Don't ever think too lightly of what Jesus did and the blood that was shed. It'll be the worst judgment you've ever seen someone to, to spurn against that, this blood that was shed and make fun of it and think nothing of it. So I want every head bowed and I just want to ask a question. We don't have a lot of time left and you know, Jesus is soon to return. There's no doubt about it. We don't have to read a Bible. I don't have to preach it to you. You know in your heart the signs are all there. Jesus uh, is so gracious and merciful. I think he's, he's given every man that chance right now because they just know that something is going to happen. It is going to happen. This world is never going to be the same once Jesus returns. But I want to ask you something right now regarding your relationship with him. That blood that was shed, I want to ask you, where will you have it? On your hands when he returns? Or will it be applied to your soul and having all your sins washed away and by buying you eternal life? I want to ask you this. If there's anyone here that's never accepted Jesus Christ in their hearts and lives, and that precious blood that was shed for them has never been applied to their hearts, I want to ask you, to not to let the death of Jesus Christ be in vain for you. That you take what he did for you and accept it for your life. And repent of your sins. And let him wash you from their sins and become a new creature in him. I'm asking you this here. And then if anyone listens to this tape and, and doesn't know Jesus Christ. They only know a historical figure but not a living Jesus Christ. Now's the time to make it right with him. To repent of your sins. Ask him to forgive you. Ask for that precious blood to wash you from your sins and, and for him to put your name in the Lamb's book of life that you might have eternal life and let him do that work in you. Is there anyone here? Is there anyone here that the blood of Jesus Christ is not over the doorposts of their house, meaning their hearts, so that when he comes in judgment, he can pass over? Is there anyone? As you just heard from Brother Mike, is the blood on your hands or on your heart? If you do want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I have right now Pastor Lenny Hayes who will be willing to lead you into prayer right now. I'm Pastor Lenny Hayes from the Coda Homes Fellowship Church. I would like to lead you in a prayer of salvation. If you don't know Jesus, pray with me that your soul could be made right that you can find Jesus in your life and come and change you. Dear God in heaven, I ask you to forgive me for all my sins, to come into my life, to turn my heart toward you. I renounce this world and all its earthly, earthly goods. I come to you believing that you died and rose again, Lord Jesus. And that you're coming back to get your church. I believe that you're the redeemer of all mankind. I ask you right now to forgive me for all of my sins. To come into my heart and to save me. To change me. That I may be more like you. Take away every sin. Every reproach I ever made against you, Lord. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. If you have, you have said this prayer with me, give God the glory for now you're saved and now you're redeemed. If you really met it in your heart, 
Christ has come into your life. God bless you. Well, the, the thing I like, I noticed about when he was talking about this is like how much detail he put into scripture. Like you could tell he really like, if you listen to Pastor Mike, our brother Mike, he liked to be called Brother Mike when he was alive. He used to fuss at me every time I tell him Pastor Mike once in a while. He's like, Brother Mike, I want to be called Just Brother Mike. Don't call him Father Mike. Exactly. Oh, he really got upset if you called him Father Mike. He didn't like that. But anyway, and I uh, I noticed like how you listen to his sermons. It's like, it's amazing. I was thinking about something I was probably, I'm hoping I can do it Sunday, but but uh, a message I was about, I was pre- uh, getting ready. And some things he mentioned, uh, he's like, wow, I was going to mention something similar to that or kind of add that to my sermon already a little bit with some things he said. So I was like, oh, wow. So I knew I was on the right track. So that kind of, that helps you out when you listen to these classics. Mostly me doing my Bible studies and, and, and studying the Bible. When I hear something, you go back to your roots and you're like, okay, well, I'm on the right direction. And I don't know if it's because... What I learned back then is coming back to me now again. What everything I learned from him is coming back with my sermons. That could happen, and this is amazing. How, yeah. Well, you see, it should be the same metric today yeah. as it was thirty years ago with this recording, right? As it was two thousand years ago when it was written, right? You right. Know, it, right. It shouldn't change. No. But yet, it seemed like you know a lot of modern day preachers they seem to twist scripture. To fit today's society. Yeah, today's society. And, you know, it should be no different today as it was then. Well, I like one part that he mentioned, if I if I heard it right, he said that it's a bloody religion. Christianity is a really bloody religion. Yes. And, and most Christians don't, they, and I like how he said it too in his thing. He said, it's not pretty. You know, when the lamb was killed, something innocent, like he was talking about in the Garden of Eden, how the God had to kill a lamb to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness, you know, because they were covering themselves with leaves. That's a symbol of good works, self-righteousness. And I like how he said that, and he's right. And so it's bloody. It's very bloody. I mean, Jesus died. It cost him his life, and his blood. it cost him a lot of blood. And then you think about it, all the apostles most of them died except for John, but the rest of them that we know of were all killed, tortured. Peter, they believe, was hanged upside down. Uh, Apostle Paul was beheaded. I mean, there's so many. And then after that, when Nero, Christians joined the Roman Empire and the Inquisition, millions died for their belief and still are today from around the world, maybe worse now than ever. But it's a bloody religion, and I'm afraid it would always will be that, you know. Yeah, so many people, I believe, they, they look at the cross. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing this a while back, you know. Mm-hmm. We, we see a cross everywhere else. Right, right. And uh, and it's supposed to be like from like an atheist or something where he said, while you're doing with that, you know that's a that's a torture device. Right, and, right. And, and really, it was. It, it was. Is, yeah, it, it, yeah, it was. And uh, there was nothing beautiful about it. No. You know, in, in church we, you know, we have it all over the place. But you know, I say it's nothing beautiful about it, but it represents what happened and right, just how gory and disturbing of an image that it was. Right, because we 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 take it so simply, you know. Oh, Jesus died for my sins. You know, well, my sins ain't that bad. Mm-hmm. Because we can't picture Calvary being this 
like I said, this bloody religion. Right, right. You know, we can't picture Calvary like that, so we th- we think our sin is so little. Right, right. And then I know your dad has been kind of mentioned a lot more lately, mm-hmm. but when you start to try to describe mm-hmm. what Calvary would have looked like, what Christ would have looked like, right. you know, being beat with the cat whip yeah. and everything, mm-hmm. it's like, it's so gruesome. Mm-hmm. So if that is the case, then... Why is my sin so bad? You know, mm-hmm. if he had to go that far with it, take that type of beating, then my sin must be that bad. Well, you think about it, the cross was like it was it, it was made by the Greeks and Romans to like torture. It was like a prisoner type thing. It was like if you rebelled against Rome, you know, that was your penalty most a lot of times. You will, you know. And mostly if you fought like an army against Rome or you try to overthrow Roman rule, that was like they put you up in that cross like to show and you made, you were made an example out of. And so, no, it was not a pretty thing. No, no, it would made to. Um, what word am I looking for? It would made to humiliate you. Exactly. It exactly. would be an embarrassment, you know, to the point of death. Because it, it would take a few days for you to die. Yeah, it was a slow dor- a torture death thing. Yeah. Yeah, there there was no comment off of it. You know, mm. there was no comment off of that cross until you were dead. And even that, it probably you probably still stayed up there for a few days longer. You know? Exactly. So it's not beautiful. You see now like like the passion of the Christ. I think that's why when that movie came out, that's why I think it did so well, even I don't agree with all the theology in it. I think why the reason why it did so well because people never pictured Jesus being beat like that before. Or like you said, they they saw like a beautiful cross with nice flowers, always beautiful and, and sweet. But Every when, type of depiction yeah. that mm-hmm. you, you see of Jesus dying. Yeah. Or even like the in Catholicism, how to have Mary holding yes. Jesus. Yes. And, uh, All you see is a pierced side. You don't see the blood with a little, with a little blood, and that's all you see mm-hmm. in most movies. Yeah, you don't see the crown of thorns that would fall on his head. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially around the forehead and everything. I mean, oh, blood yeah. gushes out from there. Yeah, that's thorns. Plus, yeah. his beard would would pluck, would pull, and and not yeah. just pull, but yank off of his face. Right, right. You know, and then yeah, beat with the cat whip and everything. It's yeah, that's yeah, why gruesome. That's why it opened people's eyes. They like, wow, we never saw it like that before. Like you say, they always pictured in in art and movies and in art in general, they portray like a few little whips here, like like Jesus was hardly never beat, you know. <laughs> and they did it like they did it like that to really show people how he really suffered. So when you take it to a whole different view, yeah, it shows you like, wow, Christ really, really suffered, you know, and. People don't see like that of the cross, you know, they see there's a pretty side of it.